such a thrill to be able to open God's Word together this morning. We're here in the undisclosed location, uh, which, um, I mean, we'll tell that story another time, but it's just an amazing story of God's provision that we're able to use this place for completely free uh, to be able to live stream from. And so we're here in the undisclosed location, but you're wherever you are uh, in your homes or or perhaps you're at an in-person service later on in the day, and um, it's just great to be with you. Uh, I, I think this is a, well, we all think this is a crazy, crazy time. We think that there is so much uncertainty, speculation, um, fear, panic, and uh, I, I just feel more and more thankful for the invitation and the, op- the, the opportunity of scripture, that, that that even though everything around us is changing every day, we have the opportunity to dig into and put our roots down into ancient and timeless and eternal truth. And so, like, uh, it's been such a sweet thing to hear about people who have discovered Jesus during this lockdown. Some of you are watching this right now. And as well as discovering Jesus, you've discovered this book that hasn't been a feature of your life before. And it's been so encouraging to hear about how you've been meeting God in the pages of this book. And I suppose what I'm saying is, for all of us who've been Christians for many years, the invitation is for us too, to just reset and reorientate our lives around truth. And so that's what we're going to do. We're continuing in our series in the Old Testament book of Jonah. We've arrived at Jonah chapter 3. So a very quick recap. Jonah chapter 1, God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go and bring my word to the Ninevites. He does the precise opposite of that. He runs away. He doesn't want to have anything to do with that. He runs away as far as he can. And uh, uh, then he finds himself on a boat in a storm. uh, And it turns out the only way to save the people, the rest of the people on the boat is is for him to be thrown overboard. And so that's Jonah chapter one. Jonah chapter two, there he is, uh, rescued by big fish. And uh, uh, he cries out to God in the middle of this, in the belly of this fish. And then Jonah chapter two ends with this horrible verse, which basically says that Jonah is vomited out of the fish onto dry land. And so that's where we're gonna pick up from. So Jonah chapter three, we're gonna read from verse one. It says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, 
he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That's God's word to us today. Gosh, it's cold in here. The whole Bible is a theological book. The word theology just means words about God. So the whole, the whole Bible is, is preeminently, predominantly a book about who God is and how he deals with us. And so a really great question to ask whenever we encounter any verse of scripture or passage of scripture, wherever it is in the book, a really great question to ask is, what does this passage tell us about who God is? I think, as I've been studying this passage this week, that, that even in verse one, we find out who God is. And often as I've been reading through this passage, I've found myself really choked up and at times weeping just at verse one, just the, what it communicates about who God is. Verse one, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. What does this passage tell us about who God is? It tells us that he's a second time God. He's a second chances God. He's the kind of God who comes to us even when we've rebelled, even when we've turned our back on God, even when we've run uh, it, it, the very opposite way to the way that he's calling us to run. He comes to us a second time. I don't know whether you can imagine, like just placing yourself into Jonah's shoes. God has clearly spoken to him. He's under no illusion whatsoever about what God is expecting of him, what God is asking of him. And in direct rebellion, he runs in the opposite direction. He's got no intention of going anywhere near what God's asking of him. And as a direct result of his own sin, he and his life and the lives of those around him is being threatened. And he cries out to God in the belly of this fish. And do you notice he hears nothing back? Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? But can you imagine the emotion, the relief, just the sheer, the sheer relief of it when suddenly he hears the voice of God in his ear, when the, the word of the Lord comes to him a second time? Yeah, I was absolutely astonished. I've got... You know, you know, part of the process of writing these talks is I go into my study, I've got a bookshelf full of commentaries, people, experts on the Bible who, you know, help us to understand the meaning of these passages. And, and one of the commentaries said something and I just thought, that can't be true. He said, Jonah got a second chance, but this cannot be interpreted as the moral of the story. There is no principle enunciated here that God always works in this way. Jonah is by no means a typical figure. And the reason I was astonished is because that seems to me to be absolute and total nonsense. Judah, Judah Jonah is typical of the way that God works. All throughout the pages of scripture, just time and time and time again, people throughout the Bible mess up, rebel against God, do things that he has told them not to do, and then he reaches out to them a second time. I'm thinking about people like Abraham. God said to Abraham, you know, you're gonna, your descendants are gonna be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And it's like, just, just trust me, just trust me. And, and yet he can't. And what he does is he basically tries to have babies with his wife's maidservant to try and hurry things along a bit. But what does it say? Genesis 18 verse one, the Lord appeared again to Abraham. Or Moses, Moses, profoundly sinful, murderous act of killing the Egyptian. And he runs 
and 40 years, 40 years he spends in the wilderness, just an utterly lost and broken man in Midian. And then God appears to him in the burning bush. Or David, the young shepherd boy, who becomes God's man, this righteous warrior. And then his eye is taken away and he turns his back on God and he becomes an adulterer and a murderer. And yet again, God reaches out to him. I could go on and on. Abraham, Moses, David, Jacob, Elijah, Gideon, Simon, Peter, John, Mark, Thomas, Paul. My point is, these are all people who get to experience the truth that with with God, failure is not fatal. Because God is who he says he is. Throughout the Bible, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's who God is. Could God have found another prophet to speak to the Ninevites? Of course he could. Was there every reason to leave Jonah to his path of destruction and to just find somebody else to go to Nineveh? Of course there was. But that's not how God works and it's not who he is. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And what if wherever you are in the world right now, whatever time of day or night it is when you're watching this, what if this is the moment when the word of the Lord is coming to you a second time? You know, maybe you've not been around God since you were a child. What if you've been running from God or in rebellion against God Maybe the word of the Lord is coming to you a second time. I'm going to make an opportunity later on for people who just know that after a life without God, now is the time when you want to come towards God and live with God. And we're going to make an opportunity for you later on. But maybe you've been a Christian all this time. It's just that somehow you've buried the dreams that God has placed into your life. Or there are hopes that are unfulfilled or callings that you've run away from. Maybe right now across this region and beyond, they're being reignited and restated and restarted by God himself. I keep coming back to that prophetic word of Carol Wimber. Carol Wimber is like the the mother of the vineyard family that we're part of. And she was interviewed in the summer of 2019 before all of this started. And she made this, gave this prophetic word. Actually, you can find it. If you haven't seen it, you can find it. The simplest way is you go into Google and you just Google Carol Wimber legacy interview and you'll find it. But in there, she gives this prophetic word. She says something big and terrible is coming. It's going to cover over the, the whole earth. And God needs everyone to be in their place. And she says, we're not like wall tiles, kind of interchangeable. You know, you have a wall tile and it's uh, cracked or it's broken, damaged. You know, you just swap it out for another one. That's not how it works with God. Instead, we're much more like jigsaw pieces. We are um, uniquely called, uniquely crafted, uniquely gifted for what it is that God is calling each one of us to. And so that's why the Lord needs every one of us in our place. Can I ask you today, are you in your place? Are you in the place that God has put you in? Are you? Okay, what else can we learn from this passage? The second thing is this. Uh, I did it my way is a great song for karaoke, but it's a terrible way to live. 
If that's too long a title and you're making notes, then you can just write instead, let's do it his way. Verse 2, God says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. So having disobeyed God the first time, there is no way that uh, Jonah's going to do that again. He is obeying God's instruction to the letter. And yet God's strategy just seems so strange. It's just not at all the way that we would expect Now, interestingly, uh, if you look at a few different translations of this passage, they all translate the second half of verse 3 in a different way because it's not actually completely clear what it means. It's the bit where it talks about taking three, uh, being a large city, it taking three days to go through it. It's probably not talking about its geographical size. It seems from the archaeological evidence that maybe um, what it actually means is Nineveh was like this politically important and significant city. It wasn't technically the capital of, the, of Assyria, but it was a politically very important city. And so it, um, if you're a diplomat or an envoy or a prophet coming from another nation, to do it right, to do it the right way, it would take three days. So day one, you would arrive there and you would uh, you know, let, the dig- let the authorities know that you'd arrived. Day two, you had your audience with the king and with his courtiers. And then on day three, you kind of said your goodbyes and you head back on your way again. And so it seems like the meaning of this bit is more like, now Nineveh was um, a really significant political city, at, and so to do it right, a visit would take three days. Well. Jonah, on God's instruction, he does none of it. Verse 4 tells us he just gets there and he starts preaching on day one. And not only that, but actually it tells us in verse 6 that that the king only hears about Jonah's visit on the grapevine. It's such a strange strategy. It's also a really strange speech. God says in verse 2, make sure you speak the message that I give you. And you might be thinking, well, I can't wait to hear this. You know, like this is, um, this is going to be amazing. This is a, a, a sermon that's been handcrafted by God himself. You know, it's going to be long and beautiful and compelling. And it's going to present this, str- you know, strong uh, and beautifully argued case for the Ninevites to repent. But not a bit of it. It's just eight words. And the eight words are really strange. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. It's a strange strategy. It's a strange speech. It's also a strangely solitary mission, easy for you to say. If you were putting a plan together, like a missional blueprint for how you reach a city of 120,000 people, it would not say, just go by yourself and just say an eight word sermon. It would say, take a great big group of you, you know, maybe 120 of the finest communicators and preachers, uh, prophetic people, you know, who could go to a thousand people each, or, you know, you could get a youth ministry and a kids ministry and a bus ministry and a homeless ministry. And, you know, you could uh, really come up with a, a brilliant strategy, but that's now, not how it works. God just says, I want you to go by yourself with this really strange sermon. It just seems like such a strange way to go about things. But it's God's way. It has exactly the impact that the Lord intended. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. 
which is their way of demonstrating true repentance. Here's what we learn. Here's the principle that we learn, I think. It's this, God's desired outcome happens when God's direction and guidance are followed, even when we don't understand. Let me just say that again. God's desired outcome happens when we follow God's direction and guidance, even when we don't understand. If ever there was a strategy for navigating the current crisis, I honestly believe that that's it. You know, we could come up with all kinds of grand ideas and great plans, but the truth is that everything's changing so much, uh, we'll never know whether it was the right thing to do. If we listen for the voice of God, then he will lead us through. You know, I've been so struck with what Jesus said in John 16. He said, it's for your good that I'm going away, because if I don't go, then the advocate won't come. And when he comes, he will guide you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will guide you. He'll guide you into all truth. He will receive from me and make it known to you. I think there's never been a more important time in the whole of our lives for, to listen for the voice of God and to try to obey what it is that he's asking us to do. The question is, are we listening? And lastly, point number three, I honestly think that this passage tells us this. Don't just stand there, say something. Eight grumpy words was all it took for the whole city, all of the 120 hearts in this city to turn towards God. Eight grumpy words. On the face of it, it's such an unexpected outcome. Here is a man, he spent three days in the intestines of a fish and then he's vomited onto dry land. He's not what you'd call well presented by this point. And, um, uh, you know, as we've already seen, he goes about it in entirely the wrong way. Uh, and his actual message just shouldn't work. You know, like uh, um, I heard someone say, if you want to preach a really great sermon, make him laugh, make him cry, give him Jesus. This is not what you'd call a great sermon. You know, there's no narrative arc. There's no introduction. There's no conclusion. There's no pathos. There's no uh, illustrations or stories. It's just these uh, eight really strange words in verse four. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's more like turn or burn, basically. And yet 120,000 people turn their hearts towards God. So what's the principle we learn from this moment? I think it's this. If we do the speaking, then God will do the saving. If we do the speaking, then God will do it. We have to understand what our responsibility is. It's not our responsibility to save people. All we need to do is speak up for God. I found it so interesting. Archaeology tells us, apparently, that for all the bravado and the, this reputation that the Assyrians, the Ninevites had for their cruelty and their power and their un unassailable strength, actually it wasn't true, especially at this point. And archaeology tells us that by this point in their history, a number of enemy nations had overpowered them and so they were by this point militarily weak. As well as that, uh, interestingly, on June the 15th, 763 BC, there was a solar eclipse uh, exactly over exactly where they were. And, and so we know from archaeology that they were absolutely freaked out 
about who God was and what it was that he was doing and, and what he was threatening with that event, as well as that there'd been a major famine and also an earthquake in quick succession. And so it's no wonder that this nervous and superstitious people responded so readily to the message that Jonah brought, which is basically saying, I'm going to tell you now who God is and that you need to turn or there's going to be really serious repercussions. And they're thinking, well, we're not going to need to be told twice. And my point is this, we have no idea what is going on in the lives of the people around us. We have no idea what the circumstances and situations are that are conspiring together behind the scenes, behind the bravado, behind the persona, that are conspiring together to bring a person right to the edge of the kingdom. And all we might have to do is make the invitation or the opportunity and who knows what might happen. I believe with all my heart, we've never been in a, in a situation like this, where there are cataclysmic world events happening that could be bringing the entire world to the brink of the kingdom. What if we were to make our invitation, speak up for God in our environments? Don't just stand there, say something. Let's pray, shall we? And Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you didn't leave us just wandering off, just in, in rebellion, but you pursued us. You came after us. You sent your son as a demonstration of your love for us. And whatever it means for each one of us, wherever we are watching it today, we just acknowledge that you're a God of second chances. And we reach out and we take hold of the second chance that's being offered to us, whatever that means. I want to pray specifically for those people who are watching who have buried their dreams or run away from the call of God or if like hiding under the duvet, hoping that God will change his mind. But you know what it is that God is asking of you. I want to pray, God, that you'd give them the courage and the strength and the grace to see it through. And um, I said earlier on, we'd make an opportunity for anyone who wants to, to commit their lives to God this morning. And actually, just as I was kind of praying over my notes this morning, an email came in with a prophetic word. And it was from someone who, uh, I mean, it's longer than I'll have the opportunity to read but it says this um, that they were going for a walk and they were watching the blustery wind buffeting the trees and she said this I was aware of how important it is for us to stay super close to Jesus as we face the storms of life and then it says there are people listening to this who have been sitting on the fence they like the worship they enjoy the preaching sometimes something stirs in their hearts but they are on the outside looking in Jesus says to you, come, today is the day. This is your day, this is your hour. Climb down from the fence, don't turn away. I love that. I just think that's just God's little way of, of uh, just provoking us to think about it this morning. Maybe it's you. And so I'm going to say a prayer one line at a time. And if you would like to become a Christian, all you need to do is just say that prayer with me, either out loud or in your own heart, and Jesus will hear every word. Also, on the screen, if you're watching this on the, the livestream.catalyst.vin, there's a button coming up right now that says, I commit my life to Jesus.
please click that button as a way of proclaiming to the world in, in the best way you can right now that you want to give your life to Jesus. But let's pray. My Father in heaven, I'm so sorry I haven't lived my life with you or for you, but I really want that to change. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, God, for pursuing me and demonstrating your love in that act. I turn from my sin. I choose to live my life with you and for you. Please forgive me. And please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live my life with you and for you from now on. Amen.